welcome to the Sean L. Show. My guest today is a bona fide superstar. You know her from RuPaul's Drag Race Season 9, the CBS TV series God Friended Me, the Emmy Award winning series Pose, and recently she was the first trans woman to originate a principal role on Broadway in the hit musical Head Over Heels. Welcome to the podcast, Peppermint. Hello. Hey, hi. Hello. How are How you? How are you, Sean? I so am great. Fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good to have you here. I'm so excited to chat with you. I could have gone on and on with your bio, by the way. You have an incredible <laughs> career. Um, so it's such an honor for me to have this opportunity to chat with you. Thank you so much for coming on. Mm-hmm. I want to jump right in um, and see, where are you, by the way? Are you in New York? Are you in LA? I'm in New York. Okay. I'm at home in New York. Yes. Yeah. I thought you were in New I, York I City I travel girl. between the two a lot. Yeah. But um, I am a New Yorker. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. And how has this uh, COVID adventure that we've all been <laughs> dealt this year been treating you? How are you doing? It's been okay. All things considered, you know, I guess that's the, the takeaway. All things considered, it's been okay. Maybe that's the t-shirt. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, I want to dive right in. This podcast is about music and sex, and I am loving your music. I want to dive right in and chat about your album, A Girl Like Me, Letters to My Lovers, that just came out recently. Um, it's a very personal album. You are very vulnerable in your writing on this album. And I wanted to just talk to you about that. What was the inspiration? and tell people where the idea for this album came from. I was in a relationship uh, about a, just over a couple of years ago, I was in a relationship and it was um, one of the best relationships I'd ever had, you know, up till that point and probably the best relationship I've ever had, if I'm being honest. Yes. And, uh, you know, so it was full of all of the feelings you know, the ups, the downs, everything that a relationship has, mm-hmm. especially when we broke up. Right. Um, but it really, you know, it got me thinking a lot about who I am and what I what I want out of relationships and life and just all of those things that are connected to that. Uh, and I basically just took my personal diary and set it to music. I love that. Um, this is volume one of two. So the story will continue. Of three. Mm-hmm. Okay. I love a good trilogy. That's amazing. Um, are you are you seeing anybody now? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not. I've I've dated since this since this relationship. Yeah. Um but you know, it was only you know there was a moment of time or the personal personal time after a relationship especially after a long relationship yeah so i took my personal time where i really wasn't like i certainly was not rebounding and looking for a relationship and then just when i started to get back into the dating pool covid hit right and so that kind of you know rearranged how i would normally approach dating yeah, absolutely. Have you been doing any dating during these COVID times? Like, are you a are you an app person, or have you done any FaceTime first dates? I, you know, I thought that I would. I really was thinking, oh my gosh, for the first time, everyone will be on their best behavior. <laughs> everyone will be in. You will know where they are. Yep. 
and we and there'll be a captive audience right you know yeah that, a that wasn't the, the 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 case and b it just didn't end up happening that way um i ended up getting really busy you know um promoting the album uh you know having you know participate in different conversations and different events to kind of mark certain moments throughout the summer. Yeah. Um, so it was just the end of the summer was very different than what I expected it to be. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think definitely for all of us. Um, I know that this album got delayed because of COVID and I wanted to know kind of how long did you take um, working on this project? And I love some good behind the scenes tea. How did this album change because it was delayed? Because I think I heard you say in another interview, you had a little bit more time to sort of tinker with it and and adjust some things. Were there any specific changes that stand out that you made to this album because of COVID, because you were left with it uh, a little longer? Well, we didn't make any deliberate choices with COVID in mind Mm -hmm. specifically, but... Uh, A, the fact that we were not able to, you know, at one point we were under the gun and getting ready to leave for tour and needed to get the album released before, basically exactly a year ago. Yeah. Um, We were going to release the album in the early spring. And then I was in March, we released the album in March, go on tour in May. Mm -hmm. And that obviously, none of that happened. Yeah. And so then we had nothing but time to kind of sit and figure things out Mm -hmm. in that whole, um, in that, during that whole, during the whole summer, um, I re-recorded some of the songs. Oh, okay. (laughs) And also wrote and recorded new songs. Okay. Uh, and so it went from one EP or album, it went from one album to three EPs. Got it. So it had a big impact on this project then for sure. Oh yeah, major. Yeah. Well, we love that. I, I think whatever extra love you put into this, it's coming through. I, I find the arrangements and the instrumentations, the mix of it all very lush. I'm a big fan of an R&B sound, particularly like a 90s R&B sound. And that is what you are sort of serving on this album, which is like, oh, that's like my sweet spot. I love that. Um, and you had a hand in writing these songs. The one song that you didn't right was uh an incredible cover of course by the legendary carol king will you still love me tomorrow um which Mm -hmm. is such a bittersweet song what drew you to that particular cover you know um that the song itself was probably uh well first of all just the song was 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 a big hit when it was recorded and and performed by the shirelles yes and and so it was a massive hit. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if it was just the music or the writing, the production, probably all of it, let's mm-hmm. say. But it certainly didn't, it, it followed that that um, that really interesting, I think, like 60s, 70s, you know, um, approach to music where they would ha- take really, really, really personal introspective lyrics and set them to dance pop <laughs> yes yeah because the Shirelles and so version you're like is... dancing yeah and they're like my heart is broken yeah you leave me in pieces on the floor and we're like Woo! yes and so yeah. i it, it escaped me i didn't i of course i would sing along and i would you know know the words and hum along but i didn't 
it, I never stopped to think, what are they actually saying? Yes. But then the second time around, I actually got to see the song within probably more context. Yeah. You know, uh, when I went and saw Beautiful, the musical on Broadway, which, of course, follows the uh, life and times of Carol King. Uh, and there's a glimpse into a process. I don't know if it's the process, but a process behind writing some of this how some of the songs were created Mm -hmm. and uh you know after a in the midst of discovering a a, her her infidelity (laughs) um in her relationship this song was created or at least that's how it's presented in the in the show yeah um and it just takes on a whole new context that you know there's um uh it just this the 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 depth of the writing came out for me in a way that it hadn't before. Right. And so it just sprung to mind. I think, you know, it really spoke to my experience with love and relationships. And I think a lot of queer folks experience with love and relationships are yes. a lot of times um, because of the path that we've, because of the way things have been uh, in the world lately for us, I think a lot of our, intimate relationships begin as casual. Mm-hmm. Many, m- many do, you know, yeah. nobody gets married on the, well, some people get married before they actually meet each other, but, right. um, you know, it, they begin as a casual relationship and some, or a casual connection or encounter. And you don't even know what's going to happen. If you'll ever right. see them again, are they going to favor you on that app that you swiped <laughs> on? Like right. what is going to happen? Um, and so it, it, felt like the perfect initially we were thinking let's do something that was similar that kind of evoked the same feelings yeah. and then i was like why rewrite it let's just do the same let's just do the song yeah if we can get the rights yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm so yeah. i'm so glad you did get the rights i'm a big carol king fan i think she's uh one of the great songwriting geniuses everyone who likes um contemporary pop music is a carol king fan that's, whether they know it or not that's very well said. Yeah, very well said. Um, so other than Carol King, I wanted to ask you, I love asking this question. Who were some of your biggest influences musically growing up? Like as a kid, who could you not get enough of? Um, who has sort of influenced your style um, now? Well, I'd say some of the people that I love, love, loved as a kid were certainly... Um, I mean, I like all kinds of music, rock, and, you know, I remember running around the house dance, dressed up like Boy George mm-hmm. uh, from Concert Club when I was a youngster. My yeah. grandmother helped me make that outfit. Um, but musically, in terms of in- musical style influences, I'd have to say some of the, you know, all the R&B greats. Mm-hmm. Definitely, I love Whitney Houston. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think m- musically, one of my bigger... Um, idols i guess i would say it would be prince mm. and um stylistically i would say janet jackson yeah this album is is serving me janet jackson a lot <laughs> i love i love that so you you nailed it there and she's one of my absolute favorites as well and to that point i think that this album is important because 
when I was a kid, like Janet, Madonna, like artists like that were like the closest that I was going to come to like sort of queer culture in any way. Like I remember when the Velvet Rope came out, it was such a big deal that she didn't change the, the pronouns lyric, the song, to the Rod Stewart song. Yes. <laughs> um, and then we had Free Zone on that album as well. And so for me, that was such a big deal. I didn't have like queer artists to look up to when I was a kid in the way that we do now. Like maybe there was Elton John, but that's a very narrow um, lane. We love Elton John, but you know, there's uh, there, if you like a more, you know, R and B pop sound, there wasn't anybody now with Instagram and um, you know, Spotify, it's so much easier to discover amazing queer artists. Um, But I really think that this album is going to be important uh, for your audience, for queer youth, for trans youth. I think having music was so important to me, um, going through relationships and stuff, having it from your point of view, I think is so important. So I am really excited about this album and about this trilogy. And so just hats off to you for that. Thank you. You're so welcome. (laughs) Yeah. The, um, you know, I think that you're right. There just weren't a lot of queer out artists, especially in the, in the heyday, in the, in the, in the height of their careers Mm -hmm. that were giving us music and singing about their experiences in a, in a way that was queer centric. Right. I think a lot of the artists who we know happen to be either gay or, or bi or something who are out now, many of those folks were not out when, when they had number one songs on the chart. That's right. Yeah. And so it was impossible to find. And so you're right. We had to dive into the Madonnas, the shares, the Janets, yep. Yep. who had all the, the, all the people um, to kind of do it for us. Yeah. And so it does, it is important to, for me to be able to have queer representation to show that we can do it. We can ha- create this and have, we want not that queer singers are new, um, right. but that we are, in terms of like the themes that are on the album, you know, I wanted to show that to young queer kids, especially young trans or any trans person and trans or no color, you know, like we're worthy of being loved. We're yes. worthy of being in relationships. Our relationships are quote normal, whatever that means. Like they're, mm-hmm. they are certainly as normal as any other relationship. And, um, and they deserve to be, you know, held, they deserve their same place on the mantle. You 100%. Know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that you're, you are accomplishing that with this project for sure. Um, let's see here. So the, the first track and the first single on this album is called Best Sex. And it's sort of a story about um, this guy's not that great, but the sex is. <laughs> so, um, you know, uh, and what we sort of will put up with to get that best sex. Um, so what is, what is the best sex to you? Like what makes the best sex? The, I mean, it's pretty much just that it doesn't have to be, it's first of all, it's physical connection for sure. Right. For some people that includes a size measurement. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It's certainly physical connection, but I do think the, you know, it's physical connection. It's also, um, a little bit of chemistry, uh, mm-hmm. I'd say more of a carnal sort of chemistry where mm-hmm. 
you know, there's just heat. Um, and, and there's a rhythm, not a literal rhythm, but right. a rhythm to the sexual and chemistry and, a, and, and flow yep. that you have with the person. Right. I, whether you talk to each other, like each other, speak the same language, or not even know each other's names, <laughs> right. you, you can still have those things. Right. Um, and so I think that is some of the best type of, at least for me, best sex. I know that some people are looking for like mind blowing experiences that they've never had. And they were on a roof and, <laughs> you know, like whatever they, you know, some outrageous story. Right. Uh, in my experience, those moments, you know, I haven't been on a roof lately, but <laughs> in my experience, those types of moments are a, they're fleeting. You can't really, they're not sustainable. Right. And, you know, well, you were up, so you were up on the roof and then it got cold and you had to climb down and you almost like, there's always like, it's never a perfect fairy tale. Right. Um, and so even after, I guess the best sex is ultimately the type of sex that after you finish it, literally you're like, okay, I would like to do that again right away. Yep. As opposed to like, oh, I really could have just eaten a piece of pizza. Right. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've certainly had that thought after stuff. I'm like, you know, oh. I really could have something else. Yeah, I, <laughs> I definitely. Yeah, you're right though. It's all about the rhythm, the flow, that connection. Sometimes the nonverbal, the eye contact, where it just flows. Mm -hmm. Because I think sometimes, yeah, like you said, like a great story or like some odd location, it just makes it like more awkward and clunky. Um, I'm yeah. not that tall, so shower sex is never good for me. I feel like always in the movie, it's a shower sex moment. You That's have to not... have a great big shower yeah. to have shower. Sex. Right, exactly. I don't know who and, that's. And the shower head has to be in the right spot. Completely. You, can't, you can't, like, it's just too much. No, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I I love it. I love it. Um, let's see here. I wanted to ask you about your um, podcast pep talk um, that you just launched where you are having different celebrity guests on and talking about black cinema. I think that's such a clever idea for a podcast. Can you talk a little bit about how that idea came to be? Yeah, it started, I want to say, in 2013, I was going to go... I. I won't say who I have several movie buff partner friends mm -hmm. who we would go to the movies together religiously, like weekly. Right. Yeah. And many of them are other drag queens and we would go um, to the movies and I'm pretty much game. I'll see any movie except for, I don't like animated movies. Okay. So no Disney movies movie. for you. No, no, don't, don't put me in no cartoon. I'm not looking <laughs> Okay. <laughs> <laughs> especially now a whole movie like a 10 minute short like before the in the God, i'm dating myself um like movies like who framed roger rabbit that had right. animation in them yeah or like um avatar yeah that's animated but like i don't want to see kids like talking animals running around i just don't want to see that and so <laughs> um anyway my point is I would go see anything yeah. with these folks and we would alternate on who chose the movie. Mm -hmm. And it was just really interesting whenever for the, for my friends who were white, who would be my movie partners, 
whenever I would suggest a black movie or black cinema, mm-hmm. um, there would always be a reason not to see it. Now, granted, mm-hmm. everybody doesn't, you know, I don't like cartoons, so mm-hmm. people have their thing. But it just felt like, gee, you're, I mean, th- these movies, black cinema is about any everything that, you know, you, there's a million films that we could see. You don't like to see this black scary movie, but how about this drama or this romance or this comedy? Right. And it would just kind of always be no. And I, that I'm not saying that, you know, I don't know what I'm saying by that, but it just bothered me that they didn't want to see these films. I mean, I think, you know, it was primarily the movie 12 Years a Slave, mm. which I thought was, and that's not by any means necessarily like great historical black, black cinema, but it obviously is an important story. And... Um, and I think it was just one of those films that was maybe was a painful view for someone to look at. I'm not quite sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's not the happiest film, that's for sure. There's definitely some right. deep moments in it. But at any rate, we never we didn't get to see it together. And I went and saw it alone. And then later on, you know, in conversation, sometimes I'll bring up references or things that have always been a part of my Americana, my childhood, right. that a lot of other people just didn't know or didn't see, yep. whether they were music references or movie references. So then I said, let me just, <clears throat> let me educate my friends, my celebrity friends, or mm-hmm. at least have conversations with them and connect these two worlds. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. My mom, I'm not a huge movie guy. I'm more of like a music guy, but my mom loves, loves, loves movies. And I grew up in like Northwestern Connecticut, like the suburbs of Hartford, a lot of white people there <laughs> and my mom anytime we wanted to see a movie that was a black cast we had to go to like a different town like our town yeah. didn't even feature these films and <laughs> i noticed it mostly like i said i'm not a big movie guy but i noticed it mostly like janet jackson like when she did the why did i get married not playing in my neighborhood and it's like it's racist like these are big yeah, movies like why can they not play like it's just so interesting how things are marketed and Uh it's just wild when you notice those little um microaggressions that aren't as apparent to me probably but are your everyday life but that's one that we definitely notice because my mom loves movies and she'd be like oh we're, we got to go to this town because they're not going to play. It. It's just it's so not even in your town. It's, it's, yeah. it's a movie theater. Right. Yeah. And yeah. somebody made the, the, the decision to be like, no, we're not going to show that here. Like that was right. a, a decision. Right. And it's not even based off of no one wants to see it. Right. Because you're sending everyone who wants to see it out of the area. Yeah, that's all. <laughs> exactly. A hundred percent. It was that was exactly the thinking behind it. I was like, somebody sat down and, and with, deliberately was like, oh, not that one. It's, it's yeah. wild. <laughs> well, I'm not a celebrity, but if you ever do an episode on any Diana Ross films, oh, call me we, up. We, if we, we sure we probably will. Got to yeah. get mahogany. <laughs> Lady sings the blues. <laughs> Uh, I am just inviting myself onto your podcast if you ever do a Diana Ross film because I am I am a huge uh, Diana Ross fan. In pre-COVID times, I used to chase her around on tour, <laughs> but that oh doesn't doesn't happen anymore. <laughs> so, how are you staying busy during COVID? So you're here in New York City. Obviously, where the numbers are ramping back up. Um, 
who knows if we're going to have probably all going to be indoors for Christmas and probably New Year's Eve as well. I'm sure we're going to be indoors. Do you have any special plans coming up for the holidays um, for New Year's Eve? What are you doing? Well, before New Year's, we are working on finishing up um, a we're releasing some more music videos from this album. We're releasing the music video for Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? Amazing. Uh, and that comes out around Christmas, on or around Christmas. Uh, for New Year's, um, I'm hosting, along with Miss Cracker, Bob the Drag Queen, Alaska, Katya, and Trixie, uh, from all, of course, from RuPaul's Drag Race, hosting a New Year's Eve extravaganza um, on Sessions, which is a website. Um, yeah. And it's a live stream. Uh, and it's an 11-hour telecast. Woo! So bring your slippers for us. People will, will can come and go as they like. Um, but they have to buy tickets. So people can get, get tickets on my... Um, I guess I'll put the link in my bio. It's not there yet because we just announced today. Woo! <laughs> um, Hot off the but, presses. Uh, how's the what? Hot off the presses. Hot off the presses. Yeah. That's right, honey. Yeah. And so but you breaking news. Uh, but I will have that so people can can get tickets to that. And then in the new year, we are going to, after our little break, we're going to take a moment and then uh, release the short film that's associated with the, a girl. It's the short film. A Girl Like Me, Letters to Ooh. My Lovers, the short film. I'm excited um, for that. And it contains all of the music. It scored, scores the film. And it's a really like 3D look into my relationship and kind of how the album came about. That's exciting. So is that just going to be for the volume one or will that be for the whole trilogy? It's just for volume one, but we are going to, it looks, we may do, we may continue the video, the movie, uh, and have an, another short film come out for each release. Very exciting. That the video, the visual for Best Sex is very steamy. Highly recommend people to check that out. So it'll if you be think fun. that's steamy, yeah. wait until you see this short film. Ah! <laughs> I don't know where we're gonna upload it. Might not be able to be on YouTube for real. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. They're trying to censor things more and more on YouTube, I feel. And same with Instagram. Really yeah. And it's so interesting. You can tell it's just so like if I were a cis woman, then a video of me making out with my boyfriend would just be regular every old thing. Mm. But being trans, it's like, oh, you know. Mm. But yeah. They're the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's so. crazy. And the and the uh, and that uh, censoring. Yeah, I saw that Instagram is getting harsher with their censors. We like to be out and. And doing fun things, the queers. We like to Uh, be naked on the social media. uh, Come on. (laughs) All right. Um, I want to ask you about being on Pose. You were so good on that show. Um, I love that show. What was that experience like for you? It was a. It was a good. It was a great experience. It was. It was really deep. Um, The episode is. I loved. You know everything that went on with my episode and a half. Um, the It was really interesting because my character, um, Euphoria, is a street girl mm-hmm. and we had to shoot, you know, her on the, you know, a working girl on the street with the other girls. And um, 
and we shot in front of the first nightclub I've ever, I ever worked at in New York, which was called The Tunnel. Oh, really? Um, on 27th Street and 11th at 12, between 11th and 12th. Yeah. And so it was literally on the doorsteps of The Tunnel, um, you know, nightclub. But it's no longer a nightclub now. It's right. like an office space and they redid it. Yeah. But it was so surreal to be back and it was very it felt very full circle the place where i or i used to work at this club earning 50 dollars a week yeah a week and standing outside i was first the rope girl like making sure that you know at the door and then i ended up uh you know they would promote me and i did moved inside and then eventually was able to perform on stage and so for pose we were shooting right at the doorstep of this place and it was so interesting because I'm like wow here I am blankety blank years later <laughs> 20 years later and yeah. um, now I'm shooting a film you know a tv show yeah on it and that was just um a great experience it's a wonderful cast it's obviously a groundbreaking show anyone anyone who hasn't seen it is come on you're not doing it right right you start watching the show uh, I'm excited for season three Hopefully they'll bring my character back. I would love to see you back. I thought you were so good on that. I would. I really hope they do bring you back. Um, I think it's such an important show. Sometimes I think about television like that as reaching um, people that may not be allies and maybe changing their mind. And I think it has a lot of importance to that. But I also think it has an important impact on people that that are allies, like myself. I think that because these stories aren't told uh, very often, it's nice for people to be able to see these stories. I've definitely learned a lot watching Pose. Um, so I think it's important not only to reach new people and change hearts and minds, but it's also important to just reach our own community and just give us an education about, you know, what our trans brothers and sisters are going through and have gone through. And just to know our own history, um, I think is so important. So I think it's really important in that aspect as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, um, it's always been, I mean, I have just, there's just, there's so many moments that I never, thought I would see on camera or in film yeah. um, being discussed that were, that have been discussed on pose, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and I think that, you know, where the times are changing, things are updating. There are shows that are handling this, but pose is really the new standard in terms of, at least at this moment in time, maybe one day something will come along that we are looking at in a new, and with a, takes a fresh approach or fresher, a different approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but for now, Pose is definitely the standard. It's definitely broken the records in terms of, you know, even not, o- not only the on-screen content, the writing and everything, but also the in their hiring, which is a huge, it's just a huge thing to, it's not something that we can ignore, you know. Right. Um, the fact that they will have the audacity to have most of the people working behind the scenes are at least a queer, mm-hmm. if not of trans experience and people of color. It's just, uh, it's amazing. I've never right. been at a, been on a show written by, or at least in part by black trans, by trans people about black trans women directed by, in my, that the episodes that I was in directed by, a black trans woman. Of course, I'm talking about Janet Mock. Yes. And so 
all of this, like that's never, I don't know if anyone in the world can say that on yeah. a major TV show. Yeah. And absolutely. so that's, that, that it's been amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I absolutely. And I think that's also the importance of that show. They get it right because they invited those people into the room <laughs> to, mm-hmm. you know, to, to, yeah. to create this rather than somebody else creating what they think the experience is like. It's actually people who are living and having these experiences and telling them from firsthand knowledge, which is so, so important in Hollywood because it's rare. I haven't talked about this that much, but like, you know, my character is a victim euphoria. There's a scene where she's a victim of, um, partner intimate partner violence mm-hmm. which is you know um it's her it's a scene with her having sex with a per- just basically having sex with somebody um and then it comes to fisticuffs and he beats her mm-hmm. and she gets arrested and in that story alone we're having conversations about violence against trans women mm-hmm. um you know uh another a character in the show also deals with uh, violence uh, against her. Um, there, you know, then my character comes into contact as a sex worker comes into contact with the police. And then there's, you know, police interactions. Mm-hmm. Are they fair? Are they violent? How, th- how do those things go down? These are all things that are happening to this very day. Yep. Um, you know, this is the deadliest year on record for trans women, for transgender people in this country. Mm-hmm. Um, at, right now on record, on record, we have 40 uh, trans people. It's only December. The year's not even over yet. Right. Uh, last year was in the, like, in the 30, like 30. So we're already, like, more. Mm-hmm. And I know that's, you know, considering how many people, how many lives have been lost to other things like COVID and, you know, uh, <laughs> wars. I mean, there's there's so much to qualify it. But the fact that these are violent crimes and many of them go un- underreported or un not properly reported or yeah. not properly investigated, it really does speak to what value is placed on our lives. Mm-hmm. And that all kind of came crashing down on me when I was in an appropriate way, when I was um, figuring out how to approach this role and about to allow myself to be beaten mm-hmm. on the ground in front of these cop, not real cops, fake cops, obviously they're actors. Mm-hmm. Um, in at in the in the on the doorsteps of the tunnel, which is where I used to work, right? And so, like, it was very emotional for me. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and that's something that normally I would have had to have just go off in a corner on my own and say, "I need some time to figure this out." And then everybody else would be like, "Well, we don't know. She's just going to get ready." I was able to actually have a conversation about what how this was triggering to me mm-hmm. with the director, who's trans, with yeah. the other people, with you know, and kind of really walk through that in a way that's. Um, was very, was reverent of the moment. Right. You know? Right. Oh, that's just, that's so important because that it allows the space for that too. When the people in the room have similar, same life experiences. Um, mm-hmm. Just this week, Laverne Cox was on Instagram. Um, she did an Instagram live. She and a friend of hers were in the park in Griffith park in LA and were attacked. And, I think that that's jolting for a lot of people because we see her as a celebrity. So we think, oh, she's safe. But like nobody's no one's safe. Like there is all of this violence um, that's occurring far too often. And just like you said, underreported. Now that we are heading into a space of hopefully optimism in 2021 with 
better leadership um, with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Um, they just recently in their acceptance speech it, uh, mentioned trans people, which is a huge step in the right direction. But what are the things, what are the quantifiables that you're really hoping to see over the next four years as far as progress from this administration? Because we love them. We're so happy to have them. But we also want to be serious about holding them accountable. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that 2020 has taught us or at least reminded us of is accountability in a new way. I think that the, the, the accountability led itself to what people would call cancel culture. Right. Um, yeah. With, with, where the consequences um, were not necessarily um, sustainable um, and, and they were individualized, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Whereas we, the, the, that doesn't really, that what people call cancel culture really does speak to reprimanding an individual mm-hmm. for participating in a larger system that's still moving. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. like, you know, and so I say all that to say, you know, it's important that, that we, it was important, it was necessary for us, to, for us to take a different type of approach. I think that 2020 has allowed us to, to see more of a difference between things that are just lip service mm-hmm. and something that are real systemic change in yeah. in a lot of these systems, the systems of oppression that we have in our country. And so one of the things that I think the administration, the upcoming administration can do and should do, and I believe are starting to do, or is at least signaling that they're going to do, is reversing a lot of the Obama era um, protections that were put in place obviously under Obama yes. that were re- removed right. uh, or reversed under Trump administration. Yep. And so I think that's the first thing. Those Some of those things may or may not still work, may not be perfect, but they at least were there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's step one. And then step two is really having, when it comes to queerness and in, um, diversity, having the most getting some queer and some trans people on that on these on some of the on a commission yeah on in that administration in that cabinet mm-hmm. um it will serve as an example to show other people that we can do it and look i know that there's going to be 73 million people who didn't vote for biden who <laughs> may be angry to see um some of these people in the White House and diversity and inclusion being, um, you know, a goal. Mm -hmm. But I think it's really important to do. You know, I don't really know any other thing that the image, I I do think that um, a Biden-Harris administration will be a return to the way things were in a way. Mm -hmm. And I know that a lot of people just want to go back to normal, Mm -hmm. especially after 2020, Trump aside, (laughs) After right. 2020. Um, yeah. But I do think that, again, what 2020 showed us is that, like, the, nothing about the way things were done in the past is how we should, are the goals that we should set in the future. Mm-hmm. We need to exceed those and even go in a different direction. Yeah. And with, a, with a new sort of approach. Right. Um, I don't know if, if, by, if uh, President Biden is the one to lead us in that direction. But um, I think we have a much better chance than we do under Trump. That's for sure. <laughs> that's, yeah, absolutely. 
Um, I'm going to take a quick break here for an ad. Hey guys, thank you for listening to the Sean L show. I hope you're enjoying this conversation with Peppermint. If you have your phone in your hand and are listening there, please go to Instagram and follow me at Sean L show. So you can stay up to date when I release new episodes of this podcast. Thanks for listening. And now back to our episode. Welcome back, Peppermint. Um, I want to ask you about, obviously, you get asked about this all the time, so I don't want to belabor it too much, but I do want to ask you about RuPaul's Drag Race. And um, I've heard you talk about it in other interviews. I usually try to shy away from questions you've been asked a lot, but I thought this is such an interesting answer. So for anyone that may not have heard you speak on it before, when when it first came out, when the show first came out, you weren't you weren't really interested in in doing this. You had sort of a mm-hmm. um, a different take on how you ended up on the show. Can you talk a little bit about your journey getting on the show? Because I think it's really interesting. Yeah, you know, I mean, before when the show wasn't a hit, obviously, and uh, wasn't a major hit, um, you know, a cultural phenomenon that it is today. Right. Yeah. Until you know, until a few seasons in, yeah. there was definitely a couple of years where people didn't know to watch the show, and it was on Logo, which uh, as a uh, channel that focuses on um, queer and gay content, a lot of people weren't having it, mm-hmm. and so, uh, but even before that. There was a moment in time where p- there was just a bunch of producers co- going to all the drag shows, probably in Los Angeles, definitely mm-hmm. in New York, which is where Logo is based. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and Logo and VH1 are based. Uh, and they um, were like, do you want to audition for a show? It's a, it's a drag queen competition. Yeah. Hosted by RuPaul. Yeah. And I was like, no. Because you were you know? already very established in your career <laughs> was, at this point. I, I, so. the, they were coming yeah. to my show right. that yeah. was packed. Yeah. I was making my money. I was <laughs> earning a living in New York City, which is a very tough place to live and expensive, uh, <laughs> just so as an entertainer. And to me, yeah. I, that, I, I, that was an accomplishment. Um, 100%, and in addition yeah. to that, I was traveling the world. I'd, was, I had already at this point been to London several times. Ireland, Australia, Amsterdam, I don't even know where else. And and I traveled just doing my drag mm-hmm. and do, performing my own original music. I was the first queen to ever have, drag queen to ever have a song, music video play nationally on Logo. Yes. And that was around the same time that they were preparing for Drag Race. And so I just felt like, wait a minute, me doing Drag Race, that feels like a Step back. I'm already on the channel. Right. Yeah. You know, um, <laughs> like a step backwards almost. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so it, it took a while for me to reposition and think. And of course, I was kind of mostly judging, making that decision based on the, my circumstances at the time, mm-hmm. which is all I could do. I'm human. Um, the the show hadn't yet been a hit. No. And, it was the Vaseline uh, season, that first season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I loved. I mean, I, you know, I was there tuned in on day one with my remote right. control. Right. But. Um, I just didn't think it was for me. And I, I thought that I would be giving up a lot of the um, progress that I had made mm-hmm. and achievements that I made. And so I decided not to. They asked me and I was like, no. And that was that. Of course, it was only a season or two later that I was like, oh. Um, and I realized, A, it was good. B, you know, the 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 
drag entertainers, even the winners, were at that up in the first few seasons were going on tour mm-hmm. in the summer doing the absolute pride tour, which is what they would call it. And I was on those same tours. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I still didn't see what it was, what would I be gaining by doing this? You know? Yeah. Um, now, obviously, much later, uh, we were in a situation where my uh, work started to shift and change and I'd lost all my jobs. I was in a relationship and I became depressed and and it, that probably reflected, but there was no job security in the world of drag. And so I lost my jobs and I was in a, a situation where I was looking for work yeah. and I wanted to um, fund my medical transition mm-hmm. and didn't really have the means to do it. And so then it came became about, I want to um, get on drag race so I can make some money to yeah. Find my medical transition. It's a smart, smart decision. That's what it became about. Yeah. <laughs> what would you say was the rose and the thorn of that experience overall doing RuPaul's Drag Race for you? What would I say was the thorn to doing the show? I, off the bat, it's, and this is not necessarily coming directly from the show or people that organize the show i really was not happy to have to spend as much money as i spent to go but you Mm -hmm. want to make a good show you're a you're a drag entertainer so you obviously pay attention to how you look and what clothes you're gonna wear and and nobody wants to go on tv with some old ratty stuff yeah and so you know you you know that stuff is expensive and so i spent going on easily just on clothing and so the things, actual, like tangible supplies, yeah. hair, makeup, things like that, easily $25,000 mm-hmm. to go, which I didn't have. I had to borrow five, ten, fifteen thousand dollars $15,000 from people that I knew because mm-hmm. I didn't have it. Right. You know? Right. And so that was a tough one. Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like where the show is now, you can tell those looks are expensive. Like they are showing oh, yeah. up. They can compete with any diva, any like Lady Gaga, Ariana Grande, Cher. Mm-hmm. Like there, it's that caliber of a look yeah. that is on well, the there screen. Was a moment in time that you would go on the show with kind of regular stuff mm-hmm. that was, it would be new, but regular. And then, and you would just have to be creative. And the first few seasons, a lot of the outfits they were making. Right, right. Then on the show, on air. Yep. It's um, funny to look then, back at those now, the first yeah, few. Now yeah. they, they, they're not. And so instead of that, they're like, wow us with what you can spend. Mm-hmm. And the queens come and, and they're spending, you know, the, the queens that are going on to the show now are calling this, like, you would, you would have your set of designers that you would work with mm-hmm. before you went to the show. And then after you would come back, if you would, like, go to All Stars or if you would, when you would come back from the show, you're now touring. You'd work with sometimes different a different set of designers, much more expensive, mm-hmm. to get your looks done after Drag Race, which is why all of the queens have like this sort of like glow up after right. Drag Race. Yeah. But then the new girls to prepare for Drag Race started saying, "Well, I'm just going to go to the same designers that the girl that the winners went to right after one. I'm going to go to the whoever made your dress when after you won." I'll make me 20 of those and I'll take those to drag race and maybe I'll win. Right. And I, right. that's the thinking for, for a lot of the queens. For sure. Which for is sure. Wrong. But. 
Yeah, but yeah. It, it's good television. <laughs> Do you think it might get to a point where it's, I mean, it's already there, price prohibitive yeah, for... Yeah, jump the shark. I mean, that show's going to jump that shark so high. <laughs> it's yes. Um, do you think they, they'll ever get to a point where they're providing, like, per diems or, like, advances for oh. these girls to help them remain at this level? Because it's sort of price prohibitive for some girls. And that becomes oh, a storyline in itself. You're spending thousands and thousands of dollars, th- mm-hmm. at least $1,000 per look, at least. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, but the, is, the, the situation is you also don't have much time to prepare. Yeah. If it was like, you know, years, a year to prepare or six months to prepare, yeah. that'd be great. Yeah. Many of the queens have two weeks to yes. prepare. Yeah. And it's virtually impossible yeah. to, to just by hand do everyone. Some people have, excuse me, some people haven't which means you're not sleeping, you're not eating, you're not taking care of yourself in that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to do. So the, the quickest option and the, the safest, the physically the safest option is to just buy some clothes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do think that it's not sustainable. Um, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I, I think, especially after COVID, it'll be interesting to see how the, the the seasons that were shot during COVID, mm-hmm. what what they continue with and what they don't. Yeah, so I guess we'll see. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wanted to ask you too um, regarding RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, some of the queens that are coming off now, there's a growing trend of online bullying towards the queens, especially. When it comes to queens of color, it's there's a mm-hmm. lot of racist bullying as well. And there seems to be this mm-hmm. sort of troubling problem around racism in that fandom. I take for granted wrongly that when I'm speaking to another queer person that we're on the same page on those issues because it's mm-hmm. ridiculous to me that we wouldn't be. But there is this troubling sort of racism in the fandom do you think that the show or Rue has a greater responsibility to combat that than they are currently? Um, what are your thoughts on that? I think whatever racism exists in the fandom really does exist just like in the rest of the country and world. Yeah. And it is, you know, it is, it can be shocking. Mm -hmm. I think that because something is queer themed, we are all, all, sort of um, foolishly um, assuming that it couldn't possibly be sexist or or racist or transphobic if it's gay. Right. Uh, and, you know, I think, again, this year, 2020 really defined what intersectionality is for mm-hmm. a lot of people. Yeah. Understanding that, yeah, you can be, you know, gay and still a misogynist Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know you can be you know one race and transphobic or or this or that so just because you're in one one minority group that is oppressed doesn't mean that the other you know that you can't also be an oppressor Mm -hmm. um and so i think that's that's something that i think was I think has been demonstrated a little bit, or at least has occurred to a few people Mm -hmm. specifically with regards to race this year. Yes. Um, I think a lot of gay, gay men, gay white men probably assumed that since they were a minority, since they are a minority in a, in a, in a 
oppressed group that, you know, we're, we're all in the boat together and that, you know, I don't really have to deal with it. I can't, I don't really know. I don't want to characterize what people were thinking, but right. I think there was a little bit of an assumption there. Certainly there was a lack of um, action on behalf of people in different parts of the community. And the other thing is drag race, the drag race fandom and these viewership is not gay men. Only. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's uh, expanded. You know, and so yeah, it's that's expanded true. a lot yeah. to cis folks, to, to other cis folks, to heterosexual folks, and obviously some more queer folks. And so, you know, they, are, and, and many of them are very young. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think right. when these young folks don't do not young folks and, and others don't necessarily refrain, um, or use self-control and restraint when typing on the internet. Mm-hmm. They they usually go to the right right away to the typical insults, the race insults. Um, and we what we we're seeing is that you know these folks, these people commenting from behind these anonymous, many times anonymous accounts. When you would call them on it or challenge them or speak directly to them then mm-hmm. they'd be like oh my god i'm so sorry i love you so much i would never right and it's like well what is what did you get possessed by <laughs> like the ghost of the kkk what's right. happening <laughs> you know <Right. laughs> but um yeah and so a lot of that is young people like you just you're like okay you're you're 11 mm-hmm. okay get away put down the keyboard yeah. but um you know yes there i do think that the way that we've done it in the past is just, you know, kind of ignore it and allow the queens to deal with it on their own. Right. Uh, I think another way to do it would be to actually address it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the conversation that Vixen had on season 10 mm-hmm. would have gone over a lot differently if it had happened in 2020. Mm-hmm. You know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. And the conversation about race and the fact that she was being demonized um, because she was a, bl- a black femme, black woman, a black femme, a black queen, um, you know, calling another queen who was white on her on her BS. Mm-hmm. And then the white queen being, you know, crying and being reduced to tears. Uh, and then the Internet saying that she was this mad, vicious black woman attacking white people. Right. right. You know, <laughs> and that poor the poor when the person who who. I don't remember the exact situation, but the person who had kind of attacked and and Vixen was the other queen. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think we would look at that a little differently. We saw some, we we saw some craziness. I don't know how um, rampant it still is. Mm -hmm. It's something that a lot of the girls didn't necessarily talk about openly because it wasn't a form to really talk about it. Right. Just amongst ourselves. Right. You know? Yeah. Do do you think that the, that the show could do better to combat that? Or do you think there isn't necessarily anything they can do? Well, I mean, you know, the show certainly can't control what the actions are of people on the right. internet, especially right. since it's two different mediums. One is just a TV show and one is people's behavior on Twitter, whatever. Right. Um, so I know that the show can't control that. Do I think that there could be some more constructive messaging mm. um, from the show? I think it would really behoove the show in some way to have conversations on air mm-hmm. about some of the things that are affecting the show off air. Mm-hmm. You know, what happened this year with Sherry Pie, I mm-hmm. think would have been a great special 
I don't need to see some reunion special. Right. Let's see that. Yeah. Let's let's hear the queens together get, get together instead of arguing about who stole my shoe or who had the best dress in the episode. Let's talk about the racism that has, you know, descended upon only the black black queens and queens of color mm-hmm. in the franchise. Yeah. Let's talk about the lack of them, the fact that that affects them not working mm-hmm. as much as the white queens after the show. Yeah. Um, and so you know, I think I think I'd tune in for a, a RuPaul's Drag Race. Let's let's really talk about race. Yeah, I definitely would. I think everybody would. That's a that's I see. I didn't know my roommates and I have had this conversation and they really feel that the show should be doing more to combat it. And I I just wasn't sure what that looked like. But it's so you just laid it out. That's exactly what they could do. And I think it would go a long way for sure. For sure, um, in furthering those conversations, maybe somebody will hear this and we will see it in 2021. A very special event, <laughs> very special episode. Hello, darling. Yes, I'll, I'll host it. Yes. <laughs> what are you most looking forward to getting back uh, to normal? Normal quotes uh, in 2021. What are you really? What is? What has been the last question? What has been the thing you're missing the most this year? Movies, movie theaters. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm really hoping to go back to the movies. Yeah. Uh, of course, I'm not going to set foot in a movie theater until it's until I feel like it's appropriate to do so. Yes. Uh, and then, of course, I think just like theaters in general. I mean, that's yeah. really about my enjoyment. But yeah. I think it really speaks to the bigger um, need of wanting to get back together and and congregate and all have a live theatrical experience live mm-hmm. entertainment in yeah. the room together yeah um that's obviously one of the most fragile parts of this mm-hmm. uh and so i'm um, of course broadway mm-hmm. uh is not really making a full return until they're saying maybe june of 2021 mm-hmm. you know i'm imagining that, that probably lines up with the um vaccine and how what, people's access to it yes uh but in any event um, it's something that I'm just, I'm absolutely chomping at the bit to be able to do again. Yeah, me too. Live theater, live concerts. It's like in a, a religious experience. My soul is definitely suffering without them. And I want to hear this album live from you, <laughs> the trilogy. Oh, yes, yeah, honey. Yeah. <laughs> um, so where can people find you, uh, if they are listening and they're on the internet, where can we keep up with you? On my social media, Peppermint247 on on everywhere. Everywhere. Awesome. And I am at Sean L Show on Instagram and Twitter. If you want the late night Twitter, it's SLS underscore after hours. Oh, honey, she gets... She gets messy on that Twitter. Sometimes. Sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being here, Peppermint. This was really an honor and a thrill to be able to have this conversation with you. I'm wishing you all the best uh, for the rest of this year and in the new year. And everyone go listen to the album because it is so good. Ow. <laughs>